section fourteen of flower patch among the hills this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by kate follis flower patch among the hills by flora clickman chapter twelve just a little piece of griskin i was reminded of the funeral when i arrived at the valley station one spring morning by the fact that it was the remains who opened the carriage door for me and helped us out with our things he was home for a few days leave looking very smart and upright in his uniform and he saluted even though he permitted himself to smile when i gave him a half-crown telling him to buy himself a wreath the white-painted garden gate had been placed wide open by way of welcome we had left behind us in town weather that called itself the end of march but in reality ought to have been january we arrived at the little cottage to find that the calendar had taken a leap forward for here it was like the end of april on the grey stone walls beside the gate clumps of wallflowers were in bloom masses of pale primrose flowers mixed with those of a rich rose-purple variety only these two sorts had been planted in the chinks of this particular wall i am sure the dear things nodded at us as we entered all over the garden were more wallflowers bursting by the thousand into bloom some beds were a mixture of clear bright yellow flowers combined with the sort that are a deep mahogany looking as though they were made of velvet other beds had a pretty rose-pink variety while on the top of more walls and in corners and patches about the garden were the old-fashioned streaky kinds all aglow with brown and yellow the long bed in front of the porch given over to cowslips oxlips polyanthus auriculas and such-like homely flowers was very gay the polyanthus were a delightful medley of claret colour pink brown crimson orange yellow most of them looking as though the edges of their petals had been buttonholed around with silk of a contrasting colour it seemed as though the flowers in this bed fairly tiptoed as we came along the path and stretched their necks as high as ever they could from out of their crinkled leaves to show how remarkably fine they were in the narrow beds under the cottage windows double daffodils made plenty of colour and at the edges were clumps of primroses various shades of pink and crimson these had seeded over into the path with the result that baby primrose plants were coming up cheerily between the rough flagstones the ordinary yellow primrose was starring the grass all about the orchard where wild daffodils were swaying by the hundred the white flowers of the blackthorn were like snowdrifts on the hedges it was so wonderful after the bleak cheerless aspect of town to come upon this world of smiling growing things the soft air sweeping over the hills brought the scent of ploughed fields and newly turned earth of bursting buds and opening blossoms with the ozone of the sea and the salt of the weed that lies on the rocks around the lighthouse in the far-away distance there seemed to be an all-pervading peace that laid hold of one's very soul and yet you could not say it was really quiet for birds were giving rival concerts in every tree 
and quite a number were devoting their energies to saying insulting things to the newcomers and the small dog who had taken the liberty of encroaching on their ancient heritage they are not sufficiently grateful for the fact that i leave my woods uncut and undisturbed as bird sanctuaries lambs were bleating in the valley meadows the spring gurgled cheerfully outside the gate as it tumbled out of the spout into the pool below we stood in the garden for a moment to take a good breath and drink in as much of the beauty as we could when virginia just touched my arm and looked towards a long belt of trees mostly oak and fir that runs down one side of the garden and orchards linking the larch woods up above us with the birch and hazel coppice down below the coppice where the nightingales sing and the tiny wrens and the tomtits build and where the little dormouse lives who comes out from among the undergrowth with no apparent fear when i stand in the woodpath and softly whistle this barricade of trees was originally left standing when the rest of the ground was cleared to screen the house from the winter gales but we have named it the squirrel's highway sure enough as we stood there silent and motionless down came one little bushy tail from the upper woods followed by another probably his wife they leapt from branch to branch and from tree to tree nibbling a young oak shoot here sniffing delicately at a few leaves somewhere else little bright eyes looked down and saw the strangers but they had seen them before and no harm ever resulted only lovely feasts of nuts laid out on the tops of walls so they just ran on down their own highway seeming as light as feathers and leaping and springing with indescribable grace at last they got to the high wall that divides the lower orchard from the birch and hazel coppice and they played along that wall bright spots of ruddy brown against the dark green of the ivy and the purple tone of the swelling birch buds all seemed gaiety and happiness till a third little bushy tail popped up over the wall from the coppice and then there were fireworks indeed i expect they were relations who were not on cordial terms we left them having a whole-hearted hand-to-hand fight which i must say seems a much more satisfactory way of settling a difference than either zepp or submarine methods indoors the table had been laid for tea preparatory to our arrival by mrs widow who as already mentioned is the custodian of the house in my absence she gives an old-world curtsy that is very disarming and says i'm main glad to see you back again miss and i hope you'll find everything to your liking that however is as it may be nevertheless there is something about the way that table is always laid that rejoices my heart even though i might not wish to have my meals set in that pattern every day the large white cloth may not present the glass-like surface of the town laundered tablecloth but at least it is white and like the cottage sheets and towels and pillowcases it holds the scents of the hillside garden where it was hung out to dry and though the creases are somewhat ridgy and insistent and the cloth has been ironed a trifle askew i know several people who would rather have tea off this tablecloth than the most elaborate dinner and the finest napery that london hotels can produce 
knives and forks are placed with great precision around the table at intervals a cup and saucer and plate beside each the crockery never by any chance matching in the mathematical centre a loaf of farmhouse bread stands on a kitchen plate flanked on one side to the east as it were by a large white jug holding a quart of milk and to the west by the sugar basin the big brown teapot stands at the south pole and a pudding basin of new-laid eggs laid by the widow's own fowls are waiting at the north pole to be cooked a small plate bearing a dinner knife and half a pound of butter which is never put into the proper butter dish is placed at the southwest this is balanced at the southeast by a pot of home-made jam and a tablespoon watercress and lettuce may grace the table though this will be according to the season but summer or winter one feature is never omitted and that is a large kitchen jug full of flowers gathered by mrs widow from her own garden on the day i am writing about the jug had a brave handful of daffodils a few sprays of red ribbies dark brown wallflowers some small ivy with some short-stemmed polyanthus suffocating in the centre of the big bunch and it is wonderful how much you can get crammed into one jug when you try abigail having none of my weak-minded leanings towards the primitive scornfully whisked the whole lot off the table as soon as mrs widow had gone back to her own cottage and relaid it on modern lines we did not hurry over the meal virginia got on a lengthy dissertation as to the crying need for fish-forks with magnetized prongs that would just draw the bones out of the fish without any preliminary search and scrutiny i suggested a radium tip to the prongs i could think of nothing that seemed more suitable but she said that might demolish fish and all in which case one would get no more personal satisfaction out of the creature than one does when having to eat it with its full complement of bones intact i then ventured a suggestion that forks made like an ordinary magnet would do if the fish were given steel drops in regular doses for a few weeks before being caught so as to get its bones susceptible to the magnet but virginia was very lofty as she always is about my scientific explanations i never heard her solution of the problem because the telegram boy arrived at the moment with a wire for abigail saying that her mother had broken her arm a genuine case this time so she left by the next train bewailing the fact that her mother could not get compensation from any one as she had given up a post of housekeeper but three months before if she had only been in the situation still she could have claimed three hundred pounds a year for life abigail thought provided the arm could only be induced to remain broken some people especially her relatives were always unfortunate she said while others were just the reverse there was a cousin of a friend of hers he had been out of work for a year or so before he got a job and then the very first day he met with an accident at the works and had to have his leg amputated and there he is now a gentleman for life comfortably settled on his compensation her people never had luck like that it did seem hard are you awake 
virginia's voice lilted up the stairs next morning awake why sleep had been impossible in that cottage for hours past for sheer undiluted racket commend me to two earnest-souled girls who get up early and go about with the stealthy tread that creaks every old board in the place and commune with each other in stage whispers that penetrate through every crack in the floor all on the pretext of making the fire we had decided that we could manage very well ourselves without sending for anyone to take abigail's place and in order to forestall me the others had got up about cockcrow and then began such a whirligig below that i just lay still and endeavoured to allocate every fresh noise they raked and shovelled at the grate and appeared to be scattering cinders all over the place they broke up applewood twigs with resounding snaps and argued as to the amount required to set the fire going ursula said you ought to put in handfuls till you get good crackling blaze virginia said that was a childish brainless way of doing it to say nothing of the chance of waste by rights the quantity of twigs employed ought to be strictly in inverse ratio to the quantity of inflammable gas contained in the coal i dare say i should have heard a great deal more as to the way to assess the ignitable quality of coal but fortunately the fire burnt up quickly and they gave their attention to other domestic details they dashed about the brass fender they whacked the black lead brush against the oven door at every turn they set down the zinc pail with a ringing thud and then scoured the hearth with zeal enough to take off half an inch of stone surface they polished the brass fire irons with some concoction of bath brick and salt which they invented on the spot as they couldn't find any metal polish they banged the hearth-rug out of doors till the surrounding hills reverberated with the echoes they rinked the carpet-sweeper up and down till it made me dizzy to listen and as this was not thorough enough for ursula she also got a short stiff brush and apparently pommeled out any dust that might be under the settle and in other obscure corners they dusted with equal energy and they went off into the kitchen to consult about the breakfast menu while the kettle chose the opportunity to boil all over the fire thereby raising clouds of white ash that settled on everything and they said oh dear just look at it finally i heard the white cloth being flapped over the table cups and saucers and plates were chinked and rattled off the dresser knives and forks and spoons jingled on to the table and i knew that breakfast was well under way it was just then that virginia put her head through the staircase door to ask in moderated tones calculated not to disturb me should i still be slumbering was i awake hastily hopping out on to the rug i replied that i was nearly dressed and would be down in a minute no hurry she replied artlessly we've only just come down ourselves and are going to see to breakfast but what i want to know is where do you keep your frying-pan hanging on its proper nail in the kitchen i replied well it isn't there no it isn't on the saucepan shelf either we've hunted everywhere but abigail didn't use it yesterday don't you remember we had boiled eggs and some of that cold ham we brought with us all right we can just as well have eggs again that's true 
we shan't want bacon with that pork coming for dinner but be quick as the kettle's boiling now oh it's not a bit of trouble whether it was due to the sunshine or to the tonic of the air or to the virtuous feeling that always overtakes those who get up early in the morning and disturb every one else i cannot say but at any rate ursula announced that she intended to start right in immediately after breakfast and give the whole cottage a thorough spring cleaning the domesticities of the morning seemed to have whetted her appetite for such matters and she said she felt she must give the place a dutch turnout and have every shelf and stool and all the pots and pans scrubbed and scoured and tilted out of doors to dry as they do in holland virginia said that she too felt a strong force it might be her subconscious self or she might have a dual personality she couldn't say which within her impelling her to turn the house inside out so i told them to go ahead i'm the last one to discourage any one from doing my work for me i suggested however that for the first day they should confine their attentions to the living rooms downstairs of course the reader of average intellect will wonder what necessity there could be for any such upheaval seeing that the place would obviously have been overhauled before we arrived but this brings me back to mrs widow a worthy body and an honest soul the rector said when he originally recommended her to me all of which was quite true but alas thoroughness in regard to house-cleaning is not her strong point when i first sought her out and broached the subject of the caretaker i was requiring she listened in a non-committal way i stated how much a year i was willing to pay naming an exceptionally good sum and explained that for this money the house must be looked after in my absence and be got quite ready for me whenever i should come down while anything she might do while i was in residence would be paid for as an extra she showed no indecorous haste to secure the appointment she merely said she would talk it over with her married daughter and if she thought any more of it she would let me know a few hours later she came to me and said casually that on second thoughts she didn't mind obliging me no one ever works for you in our village they merely oblige in the interval however the whole village had gone into committee on the subject and every one's advice had been sought and very freely given once more i went through the terms of the agreement and she said she quite understood nevertheless subsequent events led me to believe that she regarded the annual wage in the light of a retaining fee only since most of the work is always left to be done after i arrive when it will have to be paid for as a separate transaction if it is more than abigail can wrestle with at the same time i can truly endorse the rector's tribute to her honesty if i were to strew the floor with sovereigns or diamond rings i know i should find them on the mantelpiece when next i returned and she never annexes anything permanently but the fact that one has a village-wide reputation for honesty need not detract from one's worldly prosperity so long as one can borrow with light-hearted frequency and borrow for indefinite periods too mrs widow has reduced borrowing to a fine art but her honesty is demonstrated by the fact that i have never known her decline to return any of my possessions 
indeed so scrupulous is she that she will bring back the tin of metal polish when it is empty explaining that she was quite sure i wanted it to be used rather than wasted abigail invariably spends the first couple of days at the cottage in skirmishing and reclaiming missing articles knowing all this i was not surprised when i heard the frying-pan was minus i also knew that time would reveal other vacancies had it been july or august the preserving-pan a family treasure would have been gone too mrs widow was always very solicitous for its welfare about fruit-gathering time she says damp would easily hurt a really good preserving-pan so she takes it home with her to keep it dry yet the poor thing will be left to face the winter in my kitchen with never a thought bestowed on its delicate constitution and it is just at jam-making time too that my kitchen scales and weights require the ameliorated atmosphere of mrs widow's cottage my own kitchen with the midsummer sun upon it all day being obviously far too cold and damp for such highly strung bric-a-brac as one pound and half pound weights a town acquaintance once said to virginia i suppose miss clickman goes down to her cottage for poetic and literary inspiration oh dear no was the reply she simply goes down as a mere matter of feminine curiosity to see what is left where do you keep your tea-towels ursula began as she prepared to wash up the breakfast things there ought to be a pile in one of the drawers of the kitchen table i said they're not there oh well they'll come back presently while we were speaking a small girl appeared at the side door holding in one hand a basket containing a nice chunk of pork wrapped in one of my tea-towels and in the other hand my mincing machine this was mrs widow's grandchild if you please ma'am father's killed the pig and mother thought you might like just a little piece of griskin and mother's been taking care of the mincer so's it shan't get rusty an exchange of courtesies having been effected by means of a bottle of pear-drops the small maid departed with her empty basket the mincer was restored to its proper niche in the pantry and we were at least one tea-towel to the good i might mention that mrs widow's married daughter had recently acquired considerable local fame by making faggots which were in great demand you know the dish a combination of liver pork sage and onions etc baked in squares other people in the district made faggots too but none could rival hers and orders came to her from many of the big houses no one ever manages to get them chopped so beautifully fine as she does said miss bretherton when recommending them to my notice i advise you to try them still whatever obligation there may have been was offset surely by the piece of pork the griskin is the lean portion of some part of the quadruped's anatomy after the fat has been cut off for curing this joint which we never see in london is always popular with us in the country so popular that i had ordered a piece only the day before from the butcher it was just the season when people were killing their pigs and the butcher had suggested griskin still it was easy to put the extra piece in salt and the flavour would only be improved thereby my one regret was that the butcher had sent a very large joint 
when i had particularly mentioned that i only wanted a little peace i had originally intended to devote the day to gardening not to house-cleaning of course you keep a permanent gardener people inquire of me i see a general handyman it comes to the same thing he will save you all the trouble those of my acquaintances who have never had a place out of town to look after always conclude that country districts fairly bristle with capable willing men and poor but honest hard-working women all of them anxious to do my work and at a merely nominal wage too whereas one has the utmost trouble to get either man or woman to do a day's work at any price i pay the handyman the same wage per day as i pay my thoroughly experienced london gardener and he can only manage to spare me a small amount of his time at that price he knows very little about flowers but he weeds in an enlightened manner and he understands the elementary principles underlying vegetable growing on a small scale for the most part the villagers bother very little about their gardens only cultivating just sufficient ground for their immediate needs the unenlightened local method of dealing with weeds is this he who is paid to garden leaves them to grow to a fair height especially if no one is likely to be there for some weeks to see them then when they have absorbed a generous amount of nourishment from the ground and generally suffocated everything small within their reach he merely turns the soil over with the weeds on the underneath side draws a rake over the surface and presto you have a nice tidy bed this method is known as digging in of course in twenty-four hours the good-natured things start to poke cheerful noses through the soil again but that doesn't matter life is long and the gardener is paid to clear them away again there is an optional method referred to as cleaning up the beds in that case he leaves the weeds to grow higher more especially in beds that are full of promising seedlings in fact he doesn't worry about them at all until there is sudden and urgent reason why the garden should present a kempt well cared for appearance then the weeds being so healthy and luxuriant that they would raise the face of creation a couple of inches if he attempted to dig them in he simplifies matters by removing the surface of the earth weeds and seedlings and all this he wheels away in a barrow perchance to lay it down on some rough and rubbly bit of lane that the road menders have ignored when she who pays arrives all expectation and inquires for the missing seedlings the tiller of the soil shakes his head lugubriously and refers to the recent plague of slugs or thunderstorms or frost or east winds or whatever other natural phenomena seem most convincing and says he had a hard job to save what is left in the garden this last in a martyr-like tone of voice indicating that though all his self-sacrificing labour is passed over unrecognised he himself has the virtuous consciousness of having at least done his simple duty and what man can do more now i come to think of it there are many different ways of gardening that must be why it is always interesting to go round the garden with the gardener 
when i say different ways i don't mean such trifling divergencies of method as landscape gardens versus intensive culture or tomatoes under glass versus gloxinias these primarily concern the pocket the differences that interest me are temperamental there is miss bretherton for instance a most diligent and vigilant gardener and yet she never seems to me to get much genuine unalloyed pleasure out of her garden she never basks in its beauty though for the matter of that miss bretherton never basks anywhere a middle-aged woman who does her duty by a scattered parish conscientiously and thoroughly and unremittingly never has time for that sort of dissipation miss bretherton deals with her garden much as she deals with the parish at best it is a case of striving to lead reluctant feet in the paths of virtue while by far the greater part of her efforts is an unflagging wrestle with original sin a walk round the rectory garden is usually like this miss bretherton always picks up a pair of gardening scissors and a basket mechanically as she steps out what a wonderful glow of colour i exclaim as i bury my nose in a magnificent gloire de dijon but it is such a wretched thing for sending up suckers miss bretherton replies i'm always digging them up why i declare there is one a foot high giving it a drastic prod with the scissors i thought i'd cut them all away yesterday more prods till the sucker is finally unearthed and aren't those hollyhocks tall not nearly so fine as they would have been if that red spotty blight hadn't attacked them just look at those leaves snip 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 off came a dozen or so i stopped to admire the fairy flowers in the virginia stock rosy carmine lemon and mauve just opening in the sun i don't think there's anything sweeter for a border i remark the trouble with virginia's stock is that it so soon looks untidy miss bretherton says dispiritedly do what i will i can't keep the edges tidy once that goes off bloom i pull it all out at last and then that leaves a bare rough dried looking space with nothing in it i praise the white lilies such a stately row of spotless beauties i wish i could do something to hide that raggedness at the bottom of the stems they do look so shabby excuse me i see that canterbury bell is withered off that's the worst of them they all go at once so suddenly and look such a withered mass i must cut off those dead blooms it may send up a second crop but there if it does they will only be small bells i'm not sure whether the handyman's method is temperamental but i know it is very conversational if you can call it a conversation when he insists on doing the whole of it himself he is an elderly bachelor and mrs widow once explained the situation to me you see he ain't never had no wife to talk his head off for him so he talks it off for hisself i give him copious instructions whenever i leave which he promises to carry out but no matter what i may have asked him to do whether it was to nail up the yellow roses over the front door or to set lavender cuttings it all works out to the same thing in the end it is only the vegetables that are deemed worthy of mention 
the flowers are just tolerated because well because i keep on putting them in the ground and you can't expect practical common sense from a woman anyhow but after all it isn't reasonable to expect an untrained cottager to make a garden different from those he sees around you can understand however that we are usually kept pretty busy from the moment we arrive till the hour we go away but this particular morning gardening was out of the question the two girls started with the spring cleaning on most vigorous lines virginia said the hygienic way was to place everything that was movable out of doors so that scientifically speaking the sun's rays could penetrate every fibre and tissue and neutralize the harmful germs that would assuredly be lurking by the million in every stick and shred in a house as neglected as that one had been i objected to my cherished possessions being referred to as sticks and shreds and i said so with emphasis ursula said if we were going to argue at that length it would be the august bank holiday before we got things back in their place again for her part she regarded all that germ business as a harmless fairy tale that was very suitable and safe reading for a mild intellect like virginia's all the same she quite agreed that everything ought to be put outside so as to give more elbow-room indoors moreover things that were washed and scrubbed would of course dry quicker in the sun so out they all came then we saw how badly the boards around the carpet needed restaining and we dispatched virginia to the village to see what she could get in the way of oak or walnut floor stain she returned with a large bottle of rheumatic lotion miss jarvis who keeps the village shop hadn't a bottle of stain left but virginia turned over everything she had and decided on the lotion as it was thickish and a nice rich brown she bore it off miss jarvis beseeching her to remember it was for outward application only it wasn't bad only it flavoured the air rather strongly for days ursula's labours were bearing much fruit to look at the scene outside the cottage you might have thought a distraint had been made on the contents for rent chairs tables meat safes crockery saucepans oak chests pictures books the warming-pan brass candlesticks coal scuttles fenders were all basking unblushingly and in the direst confusion in the sunshine what pained me most was to notice how the furniture that had looked delightfully appropriate in the subdued lights of indoors became appallingly shabby when subjected to the glare of day i remarked that if i had confronted the things on a london burglar's barrow i should neither have recognized them nor have desired to claim them ursula tried to reassure me by reminding me that the things were mostly very old and antique things are invariably shabby as well as very valuable virginia contributed the consoling information that she had noticed whenever people moved they always left their good furniture behind in the empty house for they only removed shabby-looking things i tried to feel duly proud of my possessions once more but all the same i suggested that we should hurry on as fast as we could i had a strong conviction that if any of my county neighbours called they would probably be more impressed with the disreputable appearance of my belongings than with their priceless antiquity of course people came while we were still in chaos as i knew they would 
the first to arrive was miss primkins who apologized for calling at such an hour but she wanted to consult me on a private matter she was so very worried was i busy with an inquiring glance at the all-pervading marine store naturally i said i wasn't the difficulty was to find a seat indoors to accommodate us while we talked it wasn't warm enough as yet to sit in the open i found two chairs in the china pantry a fair-sized apartment with a big window even though it is called a pantry and here we established ourselves miss primkins reiterating how kind she thought it of me to receive her in this homely way treating her just like one of the family i tried to make her understand however that as a general rule it was not the family custom to foregather in the crockery cupboard she was a long while getting to the cause of her worry i wonder why it is that so many women when they start out to say anything wander about and deviate into innumerable side channels and backwaters before they get to the point but there i do myself so we won't follow up that line of thought eventually it transpired that when war was declared and the attendant moratorium miss primkins had hidden away what little gold she had in the bottom of a coffee canister with the coffee put in again artlessly on top since then she had added to her store of gold till at last she had twelve pounds in all on hearing this i scented the trouble and began to commiserate you don't mean to say someone has stolen it who could it have been oh no it hasn't been stolen though sometimes i almost wish but there i oughtn't to say that no the difficulty is that now i don't know how to get rid of it i never thought there was any harm in putting a little by in case anything happened till i saw in the papers that someone said lowering her voice that those who hoard gold are traitors to their country and in a still more shocked tone actually helping germany i've never had any such idea why it's the very last thing i should wish to do so i started unhoarding at once and took a sovereign when next i went out to pay my little grocery bill miss jarvis wasn't in the shop herself she wouldn't have been so rude but her assistant said well i never doesn't it seem odd to see a sovereign again i can't tell you when i saw one last i didn't know there was a solitary one left in the village wherever did you get it from miss primkins do you know i went hot and cold all over didn't know what to do with myself for fear she should guess i'd been hoarding and helping the country to be a traitor no i mean helping germany to be well you understand i just said quietly with all the composure i could muster i chanced to have it in my purse because after all it wasn't her business was it i agreed that it wasn't then i thought i should change half a sovereign that would be smaller and look less hoardingish at the station as i was going into chepstow to get some more wool for those socks for queen mary would you believe it the station-master said you know his jocular way why miss primkins what bank have you been robbing i haven't had my hand crossed with gold i don't know when i'd like to keep it for myself for luck 
only the prime minister would be down on me for hoarding i suppose my knees shook so i could hardly get into the train i decided i wouldn't let anyone see another bit of it yet actually when i was in mrs davis's shop and getting out the money to pay for the wool if i didn't take out another half-sovereign and mistake for a sixpence i was so unnerved i suppose and she said just fancy seeing a half-sovereign again i thought they were all called in wherever did you light on that miss primkins now you can understand i'm at my wit's end to know what to do with that money i can't spend it without every one knowing if i put it in my savings bank book and so get it back to the government that way i have to hand it over the counter at the post office you know so much about business can you suggest anything i immediately offered to give the nervous worried lady treasury notes in exchange oh but i couldn't let you incriminate yourself like that she protested kind as it is of you there's your reputation as well as mine to be thought of i explained however that it was easier to dispose of an accusing golden sovereign in london without arousing the suspicions of the populace than it was in the country and i said i was sure my bank manager would oblige me by receiving the gold for the good of the country knowing me to be an honest and respectable englishwoman i never thought to be so thankful to see the last of a sovereign she said as she tucked the paper notes into her handbag i've scarcely slept all this week why germany is the very last thing i would help mrs widow came in at the gate as miss primkins went out and seeing the house all turned out of windows looked her surprise at such goings-on she carried a frying-pan a long-handled broom a double milk-boiler an egg-beater and a lemon squeezer and explained that they had kept beautifully dry in her kitchen whereas they would have been ruined if left to get damp in an empty house parenthetically she hoped i would excuse her having used half a dozen lemons i had left in the pantry last time she was afraid they would not keep also some sugar in a tin that she dare say might have melted away and it seemed cruel to waste it considering the price of sugar of course i said she was quite welcome and by the way was i wanting a jar of lemon curd her daughter had made some that was really lovely and she would not mind obliging me by selling me a jar while she was describing the distinctive merits of the lemon curd and relating what the lady of the manor had said in praise of the jar she had purchased a man-servant arrived from the manor-house with a note and a basket which he handed to me with a very superior air that gave me to understand he was not in the habit of carrying baskets and was only doing so now as a patriotic act in wartime across the kitchen table that stood in the path and blocked his further progress while i read the note he fixed his eyes upon his boots and apparently looked neither to the right hand nor to the left yet i know that he catalogued every item of those wretched domestic oddments that were decorating the lawn and garden path 
mrs widow possessed of a natural curiosity that is hard to circumvent was loath to leave without a glimpse of the contents of the basket but virginia got her off by escorting her to the gate and telling her that i had not been very well in town ah anybody could see that miss said mrs widow feelingly glancing in my direction don't she just look aggard and then seeing a look of surprise on the face of virginia who distinctly resented my being described as haggard she added hurriedly leastways i mean handsome haggard of course miss the lady of the manor had written to say that a cold was keeping her indoors for a day or two but in the meanwhile as they were busy curing bacon at the home farm she had had them cut just a little piece of griskin which she was sure i should like and was having it sent up at once etc the superior person left carrying in one hand an envelope addressed to his mistress which contained all the thanks i could muster and in the other a note to be left at the village shop asking miss jarvis to send me up a large block of salt what shall you do with all the pork ursula inquired i haven't the faintest idea i said i can't bestow any of it on the poor because no matter which piece i gave away mrs widow's married daughter would be sure it was her gift i had spurned and would feel duly slighted virginia broke in upon us breathlessly her arms full of pasteboard soup tureen hearth-rug hassock and fire-irons which she had hastily gathered up from the path the rector's outside in the lane talking to some children and has he any basket in his hand asked ursula no he only appears to be carrying his umbrella thank goodness said ursula fervently as she put the third flank of griskin in the coldest larder by this time the next caller was coming up the path and though i could invite him to take a seat in one of the armchairs that were now inside anything like order had not yet been evolved from the chaos the rector is loved by rich and poor alike by reason of his unselfishness his absolute sincerity and otherworldliness he is now well on in years but neither distance nor weather keeps him from visiting regularly all in his wide-scattered parish his calls are always welcomed though i admit i should have preferred to see him any day other than the one in question i've come with a message from my niece he began she told me to say that she is sending up a small trifle a little housewifely notion of hers for your kind acceptance she thought you might find it add a little variety to the cottage menu as a matter of fact the rectory pig has gone the way of most pigs and we said the moment we heard you had arrived that we must get you to sample the home-grown article so she is sending you up just a little piece of ah here it is i expect as the rector's handyman came in at the gate carrying the inevitable basket and though the contents were wrapped up in a spotless white cloth there was no need for one to be told what he was bringing i tried to be as truly grateful as ever i could i told myself i must not think about the gift itself but must keep my mind focused on the kind thought that had prompted the gift nevertheless 
the basket seemed very heavy as i carried it into the larder and added one more joint to the goodly collection already assembled and as i went back into the living-room i heard virginia warbling outdoors not more than others i deserve but heaven has given me more there is something singularly exasperating about other people's joyousness when it is purchased at one's own expense we were restoring the last jug to its proper hook on the dresser when once more we saw miss primkins toiling up the steep garden path she really felt terribly ashamed to be intruding on me again but she had just read in the paper that the prime minister now said every one must save and no one who was a true patriot would spend more than was absolutely necessary now what was the difference between hoarding and saving she did so want to do the right thing it was so little she could do to help her country yet for the life of her she couldn't make out whether she ought to save that twelve pounds or spend it would i mind explaining it to her she never could understand anything prime ministers or people like that said nowadays so different from what it was in her young days when there was only lord salisbury and mr gladstone everything was so sensible and straightforward her father used to say always believe lord salisbury never believe mr gladstone or else it was the other way round she wasn't sure which whereas now what with radicals and coalitions and territorials and boards of this that and the other her brain almost gave way trying to find out who anybody was and when at last i think i've got it straightened out i find there's a lot of antis and it's just the opposite thing they say you ought or ought not to do or else you have to begin at the other end and work backwards what a lot those germans have to answer for i offered my own simple political creed for her guidance when the king or lord kitchener says anything then i know it's all right when they hold their tongues i know it's equally all right and the rest i don't worry about she said i had expressed her own views entirely only she never thought to put it so concisely as that what a wonderful thing it was to have a brain like mine that grasped things so clearly she should just go on being economical as her mother had always taught her to be until the king or possibly queen mary said anything definite on the subject then people would know where they were at least you aren't the only one bothered about the question of hoarding i said i'm also wrestling with the problem look here and i led the way to the larder and gave details i've been wondering whether as i relieved you of your hoard could you assist me out with mine will you accept a piece of griskin merely to get it off my premises miss primkins was almost tearful in her thanks it's so strange you should have thought to offer this she said in a sort of broken hesitation because i'm going to cardiff by the first train to-morrow to see my sisters i always like to take them a little something you understand they have big families and business is bad now and of course coming from the country only eggs are so dear and fowls such a price and just now well you know dividends aren't coming in as they did and i've my three houses standing empty and such a big bill for repairs and only of course rallying herself 
i'm heaps better off than those poor belgians but oh i can't tell you how grateful i am to you for your kindness you see i was keeping that twelve pounds by me in case i should be ill we never know do we or to meet the rent if i should run short please pardon my speaking of these things only you understand and the poor lady blushed to think she should have let herself refer to finances yes i understood rumour had already reached me that miss primkins had only used three hundred weight of coal through the whole of the winter of course in our village everybody knows how much everybody else buys of everything and she had been seen out in the woods gathering sticks she had cut her milk down to a half pint a day and that was consumed by rehoboam the cat she seldom had any meat and practised all sorts of pitiful little economies living chiefly on the vegetables she had grown in her garden but she never let anything interfere with the coin going into the sunday offertory or her knitting for the troops and she gave a donation to the red cross fund as gladly as any one it makes one's heart ache to think how many poor elderly ladies there are up and down the land who have lost what at best was but a very modest meed of comfort in the present financial upheaval and these have additional anxiety in the fact that it would be torture to them were their poverty paraded before the world they have not the physical strength to engage in national work though their spirits are valiant enough for any self-sacrifice so since it is all they can do for their country they shoulder their burdens uncomplainingly keeping a frail body alive on sugarless tea and sparsely buttered bread while they knit long long thoughts into socks and comforters if by any means they can raise the money to purchase the wool no fund is large enough to embrace such as these no charity could ever meet their case all the same they are part of the bulwark strength of england these dear faithful women who in old age and feeble health hide their own privations beneath a brave exterior willing to make any personal sacrifice rather than might should triumph over right miss primkins i exclaimed when i heard of the cardiff visit i believe you're the good fairy who i used to think lived at the entrance to the waterfall cave under the hill and i'm certain you've been sent up here for the explicit purpose of relieving me of that meat if you're going to cardiff it's your clear duty to take a griskin to each of your sisters hardy eating boys did you say good that will rid me of two well you'll find them at the station in the morning waiting for the nine o'clock train we'll do them up to look like hot-house grapes and pineapples of course she protested but i remained firm as i told her i wasn't going to let slip such a heaven-sent opportunity to get those joints transported for life when virginia and ursula put them in the railway carriage next morning she asked if they would mind as they passed her house on their way home seeing if they could find rehoboam he hadn't come back for his milk and she couldn't wait for him they would find the door-key under the fourth flower-pot on the right-hand window-sill and if he was waiting on the step his usual custom about half-past nine would they be so kind as to give him the milk that was in the larder then she need not worry any more about him they found rehoboam as per schedule and gave him the milk they couldn't help seeing that there was only a small piece of cold suet pudding a little blackberry jam and one thin slice of bacon in the larder 
when they got back we set to work on a cooking crusade and isn't there a delightful sense of freedom when you can do what you like in your own kitchen with no abigail oversighting your operations we cooked some griskin and made pastry and cakes and put some eggs into pickle do you know these hard-boiled eggs shelled when cold and put into pickle vinegar ready in a couple of days then when it got to within an hour of train time the girls went down and lit miss primkin's fire taking down a scuttle of coals for the purpose her outside coal cellar being locked fortunately gave us an excuse for not using up hers they also took some milk three of my finest potatoes and other things by the time the train arrived and miss primkins was on a tired homeward walk the kettle was singing on the hob three floury potatoes strained but keeping hot in the saucepan stood beside the kettle the supper table was laid with cold griskin a jam tart and a small spice cake while in the larder stood two sausage rolls a seed cake and a jar containing three eggs in course of pickling of course the girls couldn't resist ticketing the things virginia made this so be cautious signed ursula and similar nonsense hoping thereby to divert miss primkins from the bald truth that is that we were trying to smuggle something into a bare cupboard then after rounding up rehoboam and placing him on the hearth-rug to give an air of social welcome they locked the door putting the key under the fourth flower-pot and skipped up the hill again by the woodland path as miss primkins turned into her little garden gate End of section 14